This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Travis Beck and David Fisher from Paracable.com told a story of how they were driving 40,000 visitors a day before having any product inventory in stock. On this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that believes success comes from understanding and speaking your customer's language. In this episode, you'll learn what it's like to close down a physical store, how to increase your chances of success when selling on a marketplace, and how to transition from selling on a marketplace to selling on your own store. Today, I'm joined by Cindy Chan from Datoli, which is at animal-jewelry.com. Datoli sells affordable animal jewelry, gifts, and home decor, and we're starting in 2010 and based out of Hong Kong. Welcome, Cindy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. So tell us a little bit more about the uh, the animal jewelry you sell. What are some of the more popular products uh, in your store? I would have to say our animal rings are made in the shape of miniature animals uh, and also earrings that um, they put together so they make fake, they look like fake ear gages. Uh, the, both of these, which are quite popular in our store, but we're also expanding out to include other products as we find new designers and stuff like that. Very cool. Yeah, I think um, I, I'm a dog owner myself, so I follow so many dog Instagram profiles, probably more than the actual humans. So I feel like I've seen your product. Uh, hopefully it was yours uh, all the time. So definitely want to talk more about the, the strategy behind behind all of that, working with, you know, different influencers in a space. Um, so, yeah, tell us about how you got started. Like, what, what, what was your background? Did you have a background in creating jewelry? Um, no, actually, uh, I mean, I've always been involved in small business in a way or, or not. Um, my family is actually, um, we have a small business selling uh, children's wear. So we produce and manufacture our own children's wear. And since I was very, very young, I've always been involved in helping out at the store. And then later when I was older, um, you know, producing, designing and uh, communicating with factories. And um, and I actually got into jewelry uh, because of a necessity. Uh, I actually went to school at Parsons uh, in New York um, and I was looking for birthday presents for my friends, uh, but I couldn't really find anything that was unique or affordable for a student living in New York City on a very small budget. So I started actually making my own products for people, and they uh, the response was really, really good. Uh, and they were like, why don't you sell these? Um, so I started producing a little bit more, and I... Oh, it was really simple stuff, and um, I just started selling on Etsy, and um, and then eventually on eBay. And when I came, when I would visit Hong Kong quite often, so every time I came back, I would also source some products. I had an eBay store at the time. I don't really sell in there anymore, um, and it just kind of took off from there. I was just doing it out of my tiny little shoebox apartment uh, while also going to school. Um, and trying really hard to do my thesis, and it was just uh, 
it it definitely came uh, because of a need to one uh, find affordable and interesting gifts for people, but also to make a bit more money because I was uh, very. Um, I was living in a very expensive city. Yeah, for sure. So you went, <clears throat> you went to college. You were in college. You had worked uh, previously in the family business. Were you? Was anything else going on at, at the time while you were starting this? Like, were you still involved in a family business or in the, the small business that you guys were running at the time while trying to launch uh, your own brand? Um, so I did this in. I started this in my I think junior year in uh, university, um, uh, and. Uh, when I graduated, I actually came back to Hong Kong uh, to help out in the family business and also to do my own. So I actually started off by opening my own retail store where I sold jewelry. Um, uh, and from there, it was uh, it was a very interesting experience because, as you probably know, like the rents in Hong Kong are known to be one of the most expensive in the world. Mm. Uh, and going from, um, you know, uh, online business where I didn't really have any rent besides, uh, fees and stuff like that, uh, to having to pay for rent and, uh, all these extra costs and stuff and trying to stay afloat. It was really quite a challenge, but it was, uh, I was in business then for a year until I decided to move back to where I started, which is e-commerce, um, but the that year of experience was uh, incredible. I just uh, figured out. I got to talk to customers face to face. I got to to really understand the process of uh, buying and selling. Um, and I I took a lot of like the little things I learned and applied it to uh, what limited experience I had from trial and error of selling online. Um, and it just kind of took off from there. And I'm still learning every day. Uh, and I'm, and it's a quite interesting experience, I think. Mm, yeah, you seem to to love living in cities that are very expensive to to <laughs> rent from. Um, so I guess it puts that kind of pressure on you too to make sure it all succeeds. So you 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 know, like you said, you moved to Hong Kong. You knew that it was going to be expensive to open a retail store anywhere, really, but especially in in the, you know major metropol major uh, metro cities like that. What what was the I guess the decision behind that? If you already had a you already had like, you know a, a uh, an online store, an online business that was already building, already coming along. Like, what, what, what was the reason for wanting to open the uh, retail store? I think it was just something that I've always really wanted to do, mm-hmm. uh, to try, um, because we, uh, my family business does have a few retail stores, and uh, that's the way that I grew up with small businesses. When I tried to do on- online sales and e-commerce, it was still really new to me. Uh, and I didn't really have all the necessary skills and stuff, um, but I did understand what it was like to work in a brick and brick and mortar retail business. And uh, at the time, I found this amazing location. Uh, the rents weren't too too high at the time, and I had uh, all this product and um, that I designed, and also uh, working with uh, local designers in within uh, with uh, in Asia that I thought would do really well if I, um, sold it, uh, personal, like I wanted to try, uh, I, I really missed the hands-on experience of interacting with customers. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, and I just decided I would try and do both at the same time. But it took up so much of the time that I actually had to stop my e-commerce business for a while to uh, to to run that. Mm. What was the turning point then that made you decide let's go back to to what was already successful? Go back to what where you you I guess first started your own business, which is online. Uh, I actually got a lot of. Um, uh, tourists. Uh, so I found I started re- noticing that a lot more uh, tourists were buying from me than locals, uh, which was kind of um, opposite of what I was expecting at the time. Um, you know, I thought like the products would do quite well locally. Uh, so a lot of the tourists that came by would uh, who was visiting and looking for unique gifts or would buy a lot of things that they thought, oh, th- I've never seen this uh, back where I'm from, like whether it's Australia or Canada or something. And they would buy so many for, for uh, to bring back as gifts. Um, and they were like, oh, do you sell online? And I get that question asked a lot. And I was like, oh, I used to. And they're like, oh, why don't you do that anymore? I know so many of my friends who would love to. Uh, and I gave them my emails and stuff. I was And uh, I was like, oh, um, you know, like, let's stay in touch. And eventually I just, I was like, everybody's asking me why I don't sell online anymore. And I guess, and I, and obviously I felt like e-commerce was something that more and more businesses are picking up. And I just thought maybe I should give that another go again, especially since like the cost of running a retail store was actually, was really, really high. Um, And so I started it again and uh, to my surprise, it really picked up like, um, it just, I started on Artfire actually, artfire.com as a marketplace, like um, when I started again. And then later on Store Envy as well. And I started selling on these marketplaces where they were doing a lot of the promotion for you. And all you had to do was list products and ship them out. Um, and that's how I started before I started with uh, Shopify and moved on to Shopify. Yeah, I just kind of mm-hmm. went from there. A lot of my process was trial and error. Uh, even now, today, I keep learning new things and trying it out and seeing what works and what doesn't and then developing uh, the, the experience from there. Yeah, I think that that's a great approach. You know, there's so only so much you can can learn and internalize just by reading or even listening to podcasts. I think a lot of it needs to be just getting out there and playing the game and then learning what not just what works, but then what works for you specifically because not you know you aren't, you aren't always going to be able to find advice that works for your specific situation. Uh, but so hopefully people that are you know on the same path as you or thinking about following the same path can can save some time and money by learning from from what you've learned. Um, so let's talk about it. So you the, the store no longer exists, right? The the retail the physical store. And I'm assuming that you can't just say you know one day okay I want to go back online. Let me just turn the lights off in the store and walk out. There's probably a lot of costs involved, not just monetarily, but like your time wise. What's the pro- what is it like to close down a physical physical store? Oh, it was it was awful, but uh just because it felt a lot like a failure to mm-hmm. to um to give your all. Like it was I, I considered um doing an actual job, like working for a company. Um but for me, just to do my own thing and the challenge of running a business and being involved in every aspect of it rather than just maybe one aspect of a part of a business or company was just something that really attracted me. But not being able to succeed in, in anything is quite is, is quite um, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. So to shut down a store, it was uh, it. I mean, obviously, it's 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 not something that's 
that would feel good. Of course, I would love to have still have the store running and profitable. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't make financial sense, then you just have to do what's logical. Um, and luckily, right before I decided that this wasn't working anymore, that was when I started to venture back into e-commerce. And it was, I think, about two months um, before I decided to close down my business, I have, I was starting um, to sell online again. And I got that up and running pretty quickly. Um, and was luckily, uh, the sales were coming in. So I kind of did have a backup plan before I closed my business. And that really definitely helped a lot. Mm. So do you want to eventually go back to physical retail at some point? Uh, it would be nice, but probably not in a city like Hong Kong. Um, rent would definitely be uh, one of the factors. And also most of our customers are actually located in the U.S. and Australia. And um, so if we could open there, that would be amazing. Mm. For so- sure. Yeah, so if you were to open another store again, or even to go back to the very beginning and open your first store, what do you think you would do differently, or what could you have done to prepare differently that you think would make, um, you know, maybe some some factors are out of your control, but what do you think you could have done differently to to improve the potential of success? I'd really have to think about that, to be honest. Uh, I've spent so much time thinking about e-commerce that um, while it would be really nice to have a an actual store where we could uh, sell to customers and get like immediate feedback on on um, on how your product is doing or what they think about what you're doing. I think that's really valuable. Like because when you do online business, you ship like you someone buys something and you ship it to them, and it takes however long it takes to arrive, depending on the location. But then and then you get the feedback whether it's from like an app like. Um, you know, Yaptro or whatever it's, um, or I forget what it's called. Uh, but like, the reviews come in, and that there's like a delay, like uh, between the time when you we, you prevent, you provide the customer with something and uh, the response you get back, if you get a response. I've spent so long thinking about e-commerce that I don't really know what. I mean, I haven't really spent that much time thinking about what I would do differently for retail as of yet, because there's so much to do in e-commerce and so much that changes every single day that I really just don't have the, the, the time to think too far ahead right now. Sure. I mean, that, that focus, I think is important. You don't want to be thinking about something that you're not actually doing. Um, so that makes sense. Uh, but you, it sounds like you do miss uh, fact, do miss aspects of uh, having a physical store like that immediate feedback that you're talking about. Are there ways to replicate the, the benefits of a physical retail store that, that you found online? Like, you know, those reviews of course are important. What are there some ways that you found to get valuable feedback on whether your your products are just get feedback in general on your products or on your brand? Um, so we do uh, try really hard to uh, risk talk to our customers on social media. Uh, so we get a lot of customer um, not a lot, but like we get uh, customers who we try to encourage our customers to provide us with uh, photos of them wearing products, um, and we provide. Uh, um, store credit for those who do, do that we choose to feature on our social media platforms. Um, so, uh, and that then in turn um, helps us 
convert better as uh, it provides social proof for for customers who uh, potential customers um. you mentioned that uh, you incentivize people to share photos uh, with you one thing i really like about the way that their store is set your store is set up is that uh, immediately there's a whole shopper instagram section which has all of these uh, photos i'm assuming from your customers which of course offers that social proof i think one of the the steps that a lot of stores miss is that they won't incentivize or ask you to, to post photos with hashtags on instagram but the, the things that you know people might be doing that might be collecting some we're on Instagram, but then it's not kind of completing the entire loop and then coming back to your store as a form of social proof. So tell us a little bit more about this. Like, how do you, how did you, I guess, set this up to to incentivize? What, what were you doing to incentivize people to share their customer photos, and how are you actually using these customer photos to improve sales? Um, the Instagram integration that you were talking about, I actually, we actually. Uh, in uh, included in our website quite recently, but we've already we've always been trying to get to encourage our customers to take photos of their products. Um, and usually they'll take a photo with their pets or something, and it's super cute. And their friends will share it. Uh, but we actually it we, it's super simple. We just include a tiny little insert um, as with a cute little photo of that's one of our first customers ever took, uh, and we asked them to share a photo of their recent purchase to win a coupon code um, and to tag us. Um, we just include it in every single package that we send out, and it it really does work quite well. It's a very uh, uh, affordable way to get people to come back and interact with you and to spread help spread the word because I think one of the really difficult one of the challenges of running in a small business is that you have a limited budget so to print almost like a business card with a picture a cute picture and a short message that uh, customers can then have and hold and and um, possibly share is really useful as well and of course to provide an incentive for them uh, that's extremely important of course. Yeah, the one thing I like about uh, these kind of customer photos is that is actually seeing the product out in the, the wild, right? Because a lot of times you look at product photos and there are you know standalone on like a white background, which is great to get all the details but you don't really know what it can look like in the real world when you have so many different kind of angles, so many different uh, uh, backgrounds that people are using the you know, the product and really helps uh, I think capture that, that missing piece that you probably got in the physical retail space, which is that people can feel and look and touch and look around and hold the, the, the product itself. And when you have so many people posting all these photos with different angles and using them in different ways, I think that helps cover that, that missing piece that you often get from, uh, from physical retail that you don't get on online retail. Um, so anyway, I really like that approach. So you mentioned earlier that you started off in marketplaces, right? You, had, you were on Etsy, you're on eBay. Uh, you then came back and you were selling Art Fire and Store Envy. What was that experience like? You know, do you recommend that the, to people, other people take this approach where you first start off on marketplaces before you open up your own store? Uh, I definitely really recommend it. it. Usually a lot of these marketplaces like Store Envy, is, uh, it's free. Um, even Art Fire, I think, is free to set up. Uh, it's super uh, it tells it teaches you step by step what to do. So for someone who has no e-commerce um uh, experience. I think that is very helpful. Uh, it teaches you like, you know, your title should be however long, you know, you should have how many images. Um, and they usually help promote these products on their own marketplace so that if you don't really understand how to promote your product and get it out there, 
there's a there there's a huge team behind all these marketplaces that does it for you. But um, I was just wanted to add for before you were talking about the Instagram photos, something that uh, I thought was really that we recently tried uh, was that we reached out to local dog rescues and dog owners, and we actually invited them out to uh, for photo shoots. So we offered to take photos of them and their family and their pets in exchange for um, for us to be able to take some photos of the, uh, their, their pets, whether it was cats, guinea pigs, and dogs, uh, with some of our products. And we've been using a lot of those images in our, uh, in our social media um, strategy. And those and that has actually uh, helped us a lot. It's I think our Facebook uh, engagement has increased by like 200-something percent. Uh, people share and comment and like our, our content a lot more. Um, so we're really trying to push that, uh, trying to uh, – so back to kind of like the retail, actual retail thing, like we actually – are reaching out to local businesses and local dog rescues and people who own dogs and love to support small businesses and asking for help. Uh, it's it was kind of our way to um, create a content marketing strategy, pretty much free of charge, like for free with no money whatsoever. It was we we of course we provided them with uh, free products and stuff for their time as well, and also a copy of all the photos. And you know everybody wanted like some super cute photos with their puppies and their families and stuff. Um, but we took all this content we created uh, and the stories behind them, and we've been trying to send out newsletters um, to 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 show people that um, you know we we uh, are a real business and we're involved in our community. Um, and that's been quite interesting as well. Yeah. So you inviting uh, these customers, uh, the past customers, or maybe potential customers out for these photo shoots. Why do you think that this is or has been more successful than, let's say, just hiring a model or uh, hiring, you know, model, I guess, uh, pets to come out and just taking f- kind of photos that way rather than focusing on getting customers out there and taking photos? Like, what do you think is that makes a difference? First of all, that's quite expensive, and I think for a lot of uh, small businesses or people just starting out, you don't really have the big budget that mm-hmm. large companies have. So you, the I feel like uh, one of the ways that you can work around that is to be creative. So uh, we literally went on Facebook and found um, local dog owners and also contacted people who purchased from us locally and asked them if they minded if, uh, if you know and, and found the ones who actually. Uh, maybe they took a photo for us before, um, and we we got a huge group of people who just met with us over a course of a month, um, and we uh, photographed them, and and then we when we provide them with free products, which isn't part of the deal when we contact them, of course, um, you know, because we we really were pushing for just um, you know asking for help from a small business, like a local business, trying to trying to reach out to people and. Uh, and everybody was so so helpful. But when we provide them with these products, they then uh, take additional photos for us. They post it on their own Instagram. Mm-hmm. They um, you know they show their friends, and the word it generates so much word of mouth. Uh, we actually got contacted by other uh, dog rescues, and I'm not sure if you saw, but like we we donate like a percentage of our profits to um, local dog mm-hmm. rescues and also a- ASPCA. Um, so we. We actually took um, for each month we donate to a different organization, but 
recently we've been contacted by a lot of local ones and uh, we were able to take this money and also to then buy um, dog beds and things that they needed really uh, badly to keep their um, you know local dog rescues running and we were able to to actually physically help them uh, whether it's providing things that they need in addition to just you know, providing a donation. And um, that's what we want to focus on doing later to to show our customers that um, purchasing from us is, you, know, you get, you obviously get cute products, but you also get to, you know, help us make a difference mm-hmm. for these animals and these organizations. Um, so we really want to help uh, promote that as well. Yeah, that's definitely beautiful that, that you're able to to give back uh, while running a business. And I think one aspect that it makes your approach a lot better than just you know hiring models, hiring professional photographers is that the people and the organizations that you work with are much, much more invested in this because they realize how much you are contributing to the community, contributing to promoting them, that they help out even more, much more than that you probably expected by promoting your products above and beyond because you know if you hire a model hire a photographer they're unlikely to i think um push as much as hard as uh working with these kind of organizations um that are much more i guess organic uh, or these relationships that are built much more organically so yeah yeah so i think that that's a great approach i I'd highly recommend doing something like that again you want to be able to represent your product in the wild in with in with actual real customers using it and i think that's a that's a great approach and a low budget approach too uh, so now jumping back to the the marketplace uh question um Again, these these four these four marketplaces that we talked about, you you recommend going on them, especially if you're a beginner, because they walk you step by step uh, through the the, cra- the the listings and the promotion of the products. Are there are the keys to success on these platforms? Do you find that they're different than the keys to success if you own your own store, your own uh, online store, like you do today? Uh, yes, definitely. Um... We still actually sell on some of these marketplaces. It's good to it's a I think it's a completely different um, customer base. So what we what we did before uh, when we started with Artfire Store Envy, and I think later we ha- there's another one called Lula.com, um, which we also use now today. So um, they actually help reach uh, a different set of customers from the customers that we have for our website. So um, when we do ship these products out, we also include those Instagram, uh, you know, the, 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 the inserts that we have to request customer photos. We send them back to our social media platform uh, accounts. Uh, and we also provide, um, you know, tell them, oh, we also have our own website where we have um, a lot more products for you to choose from. And uh, our website is is where we really try and build our community. We have like a, um, we provide free shipping, which we don't provide on these platforms because we want to separate um, the different. Uh, it's it's different, and there are customers there who just buy on marketplaces. They don't trust a website, standalone website, whether it's hosted on Shopify or not. They they want to shop on like say eBay or something, or or Etsy or um, our Fire. They they want to be able to buy from a company that they've heard of and they trust. And so they do have that advantage over uh, a a business like a a standalone website, I think. 
Mm. Yeah, I think one of the the benefits of having your one of the key benefits of having your own website over selling at a marketplace is that you can kind of build these assets of returning customers. But like you're saying, the customer base on these marketplaces are different, and sometimes they are uh, very reluctant to leave these marketplaces and to buy from you directly. I think it's the same case with Amazon, for example. Some people just yes. strictly want to buy on Amazon and rather buy through there than the actual brand store. So, is it when you're on these marketplaces? Is it just for the sales alone, like what else can you, I guess, uh, get from selling on these marketplaces other than just for the sales? Because, like you're saying, some people are reluctant to, to leave these platforms. Obviously, it generates sales, and that is the bottom line. But then you can also drive traffic from these websites to your website. So, if, I think for a pers- uh, small business that's just starting, uh, you really benefit from having the trust of your customer because you're backed by this big, large company. Mm. I think one of the, uh, we've noticed, because we have uh, Google Analytics set up on our Shopify store, obviously, but so we do notice like a lot of traffic coming from our our marketplaces stores as well. So people who, who look on there uh, and want to buy more products or want to look at our full collection then come from these websites and end up buying from our website. So it does generate not just sales, but also traffic for us. Okay, so uh, a couple of key factors of being on these marketplaces. One is that you get that kind of built-in trust in, uh, on these marketplaces, but I think it also probably goes the other way too, where if someone is on your site and then they see that you are represented on these marketplaces, you do kind of inherit some of the authority and the trust from from these much more established uh, companies. Um, but then at the same time, you do have some, it sounds like you do have some, some folks that are willing to to migrate over from these platforms to buy from you directly. Maybe not the first time, but maybe subsequent times once they realize the quality of the product and they like it and they want to return and buy again. So it's not just like a one-time sales thing. There seems to be some other benefits as well. Um, so you, you mentioned that there are they help a lot with the promotion. They probably do all the promotion, especially if you don't know how to do it yourself. Um, but are there ways for you to improve the success of uh, promotions on these marketplaces? Like, are you able to contribute in any way that uh, has been me- meaningful? Um, for um, a marketplace like Store Envy, you mm-hmm. can, they always have sales. So whether it's Black Friday or some, or uh, whether it's Mother's Day, they always usually. If you subscribe to their newsletter, they'll 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 contact you, and um, I mean I mean you can sign up for it. You can uh, it'll tell you all the requirements you'll need. Um, you know the discount codes you might want might need to to provide them, uh, and you can then join in the sale. So not all of the marketplaces marketplace stores will act, will participate. So if you do then you get that increased exposure as well. Mm, okay, so you are you have to kind of opt into a lot of the the promotions that that are coming through from these platforms. And also if you've been um, on there for a while like say on Artfire uh, and you do if you can sell um, a specific amount or if you have a product that they think is quite uh, unique then you know you get you will 
uh, we've I think some of our products are actually featured on their homepage as well. For uh, so that really drives traffic to your uh, web store on there. Mm-hmm. And these um, kind of premium or prime placements of your your product, like on the homepage, which probably gets the most traffic out of any other part of their site. How did that happen? Like, was it just uh, based on uh, your success on there? Like, what do they look for to to place to to I guess promote a certain brand or certain web store uh, more uh, uh, predominantly than others? I think it's uh, different for each uh, platform what their requirements are, but I know Store Envy um, will, I mean, has often uh, have, they reserve a space on their homepage for the different businesses that they have, um, all the different stores that they represent. Uh, I think it comes down to having a unique product and also a product that sells because ultimately they do want to gain a commission on their marketplace sales or uh, they want they want to build the traffic and the and the they need something from it too. So if you have a unique product that sells, um, then it does obviously increases your chance of then have being contacted by their support team and um, you know and they they might ask you for like a short interview and they'll feature you on the the homepage. But I think uh, right now they don't actually have an option for paid ads yet. But I've, I've heard that that's going to be something that they might look into. But I know Artfire as well, you can actually, I think you can uh, pay to have it um, listed on mm-hmm. the top of search, kind of like Etsy. Gotcha. So yeah, I guess um, for the more uh, organic or free publicity, it's probably not the, uh, I guess, ticket to, to success, but definitely will help you uh, gain a lot more success once you do have something rolling already, whether that be a unique product or ideally a unique product that also sells. Um, so once you do have success on, on these platforms or once you, you did have success on these platforms and continue to sell on them, what was the transition like to, to your own store? Like what steps did you start taking to to essentially uh, make the your own store the the focus of your brand, I wanted more control over uh, the look and the feel and the functionality of um, the online store um, because I didn't. There are limitations to what you can do on these marketplaces. Um, so I th- uh, that and we already generate enough uh, tr- revenue from these things that we decided to venture out and create our own website and uh, after some research decided on Shopify um, and it, it's it, it's great because it, there's so many different apps that you can use and it's completely customizable and uh, it really gives you uh, you know like the Instagram um, shop my Instagram um, carousel that you were talking about on our homepage you wouldn't be able to have that on a marketplace store because um that's something that that's the kind of feature that you would have to pay. Uh, they they just don't provide. Um, so there is an advantage of having your own website. You can control everything that you, and you get a lot more analytics and you you know what's happening more than. And I think it's um, something that people that have um, been selling a little bit or something want if they want to expand it's probably something that you would definitely need 
to have your own standalone website. Yeah, it's definitely an evolution that a lot of uh, stores have where they have success on these platforms. They've proved out that it's a, a product that, that people want and now they want a lot more control and obviously also probably better margins by selling it themselves. Uh, so when you did make that transition, I'm assuming that there were some things that you uh, maybe relied on these marketplaces that now you had to do yourself. So what, what were some things that you had to learn or prepare for or focus more on uh, when you did start to sell uh, through your own store rather than through a marketplace? I I think probably everything. Um, <laughs> it's completely different process, like uh, finding someone, uh, choosing a good theme because that's probably the look of your website is really important. Uh, finding a developer to add extra functions or finding apps that work for you. So it was, again, it was a lot of trial and error. It was reading a lot of reviews on the app stores and figuring out what worked for people and what didn't and visiting their stores. I think that's why I think uh, leaving reviews on these apps are so important because people actually click on them and to see what it looks like and it drives traffic to you that way. I've, I've done so much shopping that way. Uh, but, mm. um, just to, uh, yeah, it was from the beginning, it was a lot of, again, so much of this is trial and error for, for us, uh, just uh, figuring out which apps we wanted to install, like what kind of functions we wanted. And of course, the more apps you add, the uh the the, lo- the the longer your um, page speed will t- uh, your page will take to load, um, and to, I mean too much functionality might also be a bad thing. Um, so just trying trying to figure out what kind of functions we wanted to add um, and what what we wanted to take away. That was a really uh, and um, and we're still in that kind of stage right now and and trying to figure out uh, what kind of elements to add to to have on your website uh, to increase your conversion rate as well um, is it's all it's all um, because on a marketplace they decide where everything is they decide what the buttons look like they decide everything and I'm sure that's from the result of a lot of um, research but when you run your when you create your own website, you can basically do everything from scratch. So you, mm-hmm. you have to figure out, um, obviously there's colors and, th- and, and, uh, fonts that your, your brand will probably have, but then, um, just to figure out where on the page to put your buttons, um, what to include and what not to include that there's a lot of decisions there. And we've made a lot of mistakes as well. Um, that, uh, then, um, has a huge effect on our uh, conversion rates, and we're we're constantly learning. And I think um, we use like Optimizely to figure out how to 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 actually try and add a little bit more analytics and numbers and figure out like what to do, not based on what we think looks great, but what actually works for our customers. And I think that's really quite. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, definitely want to dig into this a little bit more. And one thing that I noticed right from the the home page is that there are three kind of uh, phrases that jump out to me, which is it says free shipping on orders over twenty five dollars, thirty days easy returns, and shop by animal. Uh, I, I'm assuming that these were the three things that maybe uh, people either asked about the most, or maybe you can tell us like what why why did you make uh, those kind of three uh, I guess features of your business, features of buying from your store uh, so uh, predominant. Uh, so the first one for free shipping, we before we actually charged a flat rate for shipping, and we got so many customer emails like, "Why don't you offer free shipping?" We ex- like you know nowadays people expect this, 
and we were reading on the Shopify blog. We were like, oh, maybe we should really consider. I think it was a podcast where I forget. Uh, but um, and we were like, maybe we should consider how you know in, to provide free shipping on over a certain amount. Also, uh, because we wanted to increase our average order value, which we saw was pretty low to begin with, uh, we wanted to make, of, of course, the most amount of money per per visitor per per, per customer. So we decided to uh, implement that, and uh, we noticed like a lot of people didn't. Uh, we actually we also use Hotjar. I think it's called Hotjar, right? Uh, Hotjar. Mm-hmm. Um, so that. We look at, we watch a lot of the videos, and we review a lot of the data that we get. Um, and we notice that people would go to our FAQ page or our shipping information page quite often. So we figured that it wasn't, it maybe not wasn't obvious enough um, mm. because there's so much stuff to look at, and your and your attention even when you're online shopping isn't. Maybe you have like five tabs open or twelve tabs open, you know it. We just wanted to really highlight that so people know you're, there is a free shipping option. And if we spend a little bit more, um, you know, we will get this offer. Um, and also for returns, the same reason. We kept seeing people searching for, for information on returns and shipping. And also for the shop by animals, we actually have that on the uh, drop-down menu as well. But we noticed that from looking at Hotjar, we noticed so many people were actually clicking on that. And that page got so many hits. Uh, and we just wanted to highlight that for those who didn't see it on the, the drop-down menu as well. Because there's just it's just uh, something that a lot of people seem to like to do. Because I think a lot of animal lovers, especially you, that you have a favorite animal or you have a favorite kind of dog or you you. You, you're looking for something very specific, and we want to provide a way for customers to really filter through that. Yeah, I, I love how that you guys have taken this approach where you look at what is confusing or what kind of questions people are asking because a lot of times when we are shopping, it's uh, an emotional uh, decision at first, but then we start backing into it logically and almost like look for excuses not to buy things a lot of times, not to spend yeah. the money, right? So I think the more questions you can answer right off the bat, the less uh, chances the I guess the customer has to make objections on, on buying. So things like, can we get free shipping? Is it going to be easy to return? Because I'm, I'm worried that I might not like it or it might not fit. I think those are very common questions that if you can answer right off the bat, it highly reduces the likelihood that they, I guess, find a reason not to buy. Because I mean, we're all customers, we're all consumers. We all go through this process of trying to find reasons not to buy things, not to spend the money. Yes. And I think as long as you can answer it quickly, it improves your conversions. Um, so obviously those those three things, those three uh, key um, kind of statements that you put out there answers a lot of questions. Are there any other changes that you've made to the store or to the site recently that has had a big impact on your conversion rate or sales? Mm, let me think about that. Sure. Uh, uh, no, uh, but to add to that, uh, since we implemented these changes and made these huge buttons uh, that you can see uh, on top of Float Fold or whatever it's called, um, we actually saw um, that we get uh, customers staying on our website for a lot longer than they used to. Mm-hmm. So I think it's on average for like about two, two and a half minutes on our website, um, which which isn't very good, but it's not too bad either. They, they go through quite a lot of pages as well. Uh, we recently added um, a uh, collection filter, or is it called a, a product filter on our website, um, which is uh, something that you might think is very obvious, 
as as is a lot of things to do with uh to do with a small business it's like it's like why you have so many products why didn't you have the filter to begin with was something that i thought after i implemented it um but it made a huge difference just to be able to provide our customers with a way to filter through products some people wanted uh just to look at jewelry or some people wanted to look at specific price range um so to add that kind of functionality that uh, we didn't have before, and uh, we noticed people searching on our search bar um, for a lot of uh, very specific things that that we should be able to provide them with a way to filter through. Um, so we wanted to provide that service, and that's something that we did recently, and that has improved our conversion rates as well. Yeah, I like this um, physical retail analogy where if you're walking into a store, you don't want to just walk into a store where it has a bunch of products just scattered throughout. You want to shop by aisle. You kind of have an idea of what you want already, maybe not exactly what you want, but you want to be able to get to that aisle as quickly as possible. I think uh, your your um, decision to include those collections makes a huge difference for that reason because people can uh, much have a much easier uh, process of looking for what they kind of know what they want and can get to it a lot faster. Um, so you, you mentioned, uh, AB testing sounds like, right? You use a hot jar, which is like a heat mapping uh, tool where you can see what people are clicking on, where their cursor is going. Tell us a little bit more about this. I think this is a, an approach that maybe I don't hear a lot of uh, store owners taking, uh, by implementing a heat map. Like what's your, how long do you run these things for? Like, what are you looking for when you have a heat map set up? One of the things I really do think, uh, provides a lot of value is, uh, to watch these videos. You can watch the things about uh, people who spend only a couple seconds on your website and see what they were like what they were doing uh, and people who spend a long time on their website um, it, I think it's quite interesting as well when you see someone who spends like 10 minutes on your website like why haven't they converted yet mm-hmm. so you kind of you can kind of follow the journey and see uh, you can see like maybe they're they're they, they're not looking they're not finding what they want to look uh, want to find um so you can learn a lot from uh from from things like these heat maps because you see where people click more often uh, p- what people are, are not clicking at at all so we used to have a collection page on our homepage for featured products but we noticed that loads of these things weren't even clicked at on and people would just scroll right by it that's why we changed it to this Instagram feed where you can also shop these products um so it provides an additional f- uh f- function on top of just a product so you can see the product on someone or someone who else who who took a customer photo you, you can then it's it's we made a lot of changes to a tiny web cha- uh, changes to our website based on what we've seen um and then we also test a b test uh, like the button colors the text um there's like a little button on the on our website that says get free stuff right now which is part of um i think a loyalty program that we had i forget the name of it a sweet tooth yes um so we actually tried to change the text on that from like uh, rewards program to get free stuff and clearly get free stuff was uh the winner there um mm-hmm. but then you can then filter it and we were trying to say get free stuff and shop uh uh, um, receive free stuff and like just a tiny little change can make a huge difference and so it's it's extremely extremely helpful yeah i think uh a lot of people know they need to do a b testing because you hear about it so often but a lot of stores don't get started and i think a big reason for that is, is because it seems kind of daunting right there's so many things that you can change on a store so many things you can tweak and see what works what doesn't work 
how do you decide, or maybe when you guys first started, like how did you decide what you should be trying to test first? We actually only recently did this. Uh, so I, we took a, a, me and my partner, we took a course at General Assembly on digital marketing, and that's where we got introduced to it. Um, but before that, we did so much of it just on trial and error. So we would, we thought that we wanted some products on the homepage for people who didn't want to look through everything, and so we we did that, uh, and then we tried changing it. But and then looking at Google Google Analytics and seeing like just trying to guess at what was going on. Uh, and we made this huge mistake of uh, revamping the whole website without looking at the data first. Mm. And that caused a huge problem for us, uh, which we had to roll back to the old uh, theme that we had. Luckily, we we uh, made a duplicate of the theme, which is something that everybody should do. Uh, but then we, so we rolled back um, and, uh, but then we had these features that we thought were super cool or looked or we made our website look very uh it looked very nice but um then we learned that you shouldn't really um of course there's exceptions but you you shouldn't really do what you think you think the customer wants you should do what the customer actually wants so Mm. you need to look at the data you need to look at the numbers and you need to test things um and you need to do Rather than revamp the entire website, you might want to do it in sections and test every little thing because what looks good to you individually as a person might not uh, look good or, or function the same way for a customer. So to be able to go on Hotjar and see how people are reacting and uh, to, to be able to look at Google Analytics and see how your page is um, converting. And, and uh, we also make annotations on every day, like things that we do change and things like that. So we know exactly what is going on or what might have changed or uh, caused the, these changes that we see um, in terms of just not just only sales, but also like visitors and how long they stay and our bounce rate and things like that. Yeah, I, I think um, your your thoughts about not making these assumptions like blindly is so important because uh, it, there, there's this balance that you have to take right between your intuition, your experience in the marketplace in general, your experience with your customers and kind of having this gut feeling. But then at the same time, you have to take this with, um, I think, what's called like a beginner's mind approach where you don't assume everything and assume you know everything. Maybe just use those yes. assumptions as a starting point, but you still needs to be backed by by data. And I feel like this might have something to do with. Uh, well, not, I don't know. I don't want to actually bias your answer, but your your, so your brand name is called is called Dottoli, but the the what domain is annual-jewelry.com. What made you, I guess, make that decision of not, I guess, you know, having your brand name in the domain itself? We actually. Uh, just to backtrack a little, like when you first start and you don't have all these this budget to uh, maybe get an Optimizely account or or stuff like that, uh, I think one of the most important things is to listen to your customer. Uh, and we actually, you know, and and those people who actually take the time to send you an email or fill out the contact form and to provide you with an insight, even if it's a complaint, it's very very important. Um, and so. We actually uh, had people, customers who called us and were like, they, they would always pronounce our, our store name wrong or they would 
it would confuse him a little bit. Um, and so we were just like, oh, maybe, maybe we should have, we, um, you know, rather than just because we like our, our, our uh, store name doesn't mean that other people, it's not, it might not be as easily memorable as memorable for other people. And so we decided to actually use a different domain for our store. Um, but listening to our customers, it's just, uh, it was really important. Um, and, while it would be nice to have our store name, uh, and I think uh, we might, uh, I mean, just to have, um, also, it's also good for SEO, I think, just for people who search for animal jewelry, then our our uh, store actually comes up on one of the first top three uh, results as well. I think that also helps some. No, I think that, that you, that's very, I think, a wise approach because it does require a lot of control over the, the ego a bit too, right? Not to yes. force people to know your brand name and you're, you're doing something much better, which I think is, you know, speaking your customer's language, meeting them where they already are rather than trying to force them to, to, to think like you or to be what you want them to be. And I think that that's so important. I think a lot of times when you're marketing or you're starting a brand, in. There's so much forcing involved, but I think a lot of it should be more about meeting them where they already are, and that I think uh, not only makes your job easier, but then it actually you know have an impact on on the the bottom line, which I think uh, you guys are seeing because you recognize that people aren't necessarily looking for your brand name, but they're looking for you know animal jewelry, and you, you that definitely would help with SEO when you have such a, a domain like that. Um, so you know, uh, thanks so much for your time, Cindy. So where do you want to see uh, the the brand in the next year, like over? To the next you know 12 months or so where do you want to be this time next year we've actually uh we represent a lot of local designers in asia so we've actually lined up a lot of very interesting um uh collections uh, um what is it called uh, exclusive collections with these people that uh handmade items or uh, items made by like um children um and, and and villages and places uh that people don't usually go to and just representing them these businesses that don't have an online presence and uh we're really excited to uh introduce that soon um so we can provide our customers with more uh interesting products and things that they haven't seen before awesome yeah it looks like uh um, exciting year coming for you guys so again dotsley is the name of the brand and jewelrycom is the website very cool products definitely recommend people check it out anywhere else you recommend the listeners check out to follow along with what you guys are up to these new things coming in 2017 or just to see how you're you're running the business um, definitely check out our Instagram page. We work really, really hard and we try to feature a lot of uh, the, the customer photos that we receive and you can actually see how uh, we've we've um, changed over the past couple months from um, featuring mostly product-heavy photos to uh, more uh, interesting uh, content that are, are uh, being shared more often than, than they used to be. Cool. So yeah. you can see the yeah. process. No, for sure. I think a lot's lots to learn by just following along. Uh, cool. So thanks again so much for your time, Cindy. Thank you. Here's a sneak peek of what's in store for the next Shopify Masters episode. You know, but you can't get to like the optimal endpoint right away, right? You don't just leapfrog to like, here's the four things that work best. Like you really, you did have to start. You do have to start by saying, by making some very sort of calculated guesses in some cases, but you can also, it's also informed by, it's some data, it's some like, some sort of gut, right? And you put it out there and then you're going to be able to refine and tweak and, and, and that's an iterative process. But, um, but you do have to just start it. 
Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.